Hey everybody, Connor here from the B-Side. Today we have a special little bonus episode for you. We were lucky enough to host Alessandro Nivola once again. If you remember, we did an episode with him at the end of 2020, and he was gracious enough to return, have a little conversation with us about uh, The Many Saints of Newark, which is currently in theaters and on HBO Max. He talks with us about playing Dickie Moltisanti in The Many Saints of Newark. He gives some fun insight into what went into it, what went into developing Dickie and all sorts of things, as well as a couple other roles he's played that inspired David Chase to uh, cast him as Dickie, namely 2014's A Most Violent Year, as well as uh, his part in American Hustle. There's some other fun stuff we talk about, including upcoming projects and things like that. So listen and enjoy. And we are here again. It's like an anniversary about a year ago, Alessandro. You Almost, were, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were was with it us. That? It seems like I just think... a couple days ago. Because <laughs> you know what it was? I, I remember because we had had my my baby. My baby's a year old now. And we when we spoke... He was like weeks old or something because I we took him to this very like very important doctor's appointment like right after we spoke with you. Okay, so and, you have proof that it, that it wasn't like forty eight hours ago. And they, I was yeah. like, these guys are stalking me, man. They want me back. Already. And we were like, please come back. No, because I remember, and thank God everything was fine. But I mean, I, I I'll always remember those two things concurrently. Um, but um, it's great to have you back. And obviously, the Many Saints of Newark is out now in theaters um, as we're recording. Um, it's also on HBO Max. I think me and Connor were both lucky enough to see it in theaters and. Um, and I think, yeah, we'll just start there. I mean, so you're, you are the lead of the movie, as we kind of talked about briefly a year ago, almost a year ago. And you're Dickie Maltzanti, who is Christopher from the show's father. And for any of those who haven't seen the show, The Sopranos, Dickie isn't in the show, but he's kind of, he looms large over the lives and they discuss him here and there throughout the, the seasons. And he's kind of, he's regarded in a, um, in quite a big way which uh, in one of your appearances, I was fascinated by you. David Chase had told you in considering the character, don't believe what anybody on The Sopranos says about Dickie because they're all liars, which I thought was such a great, <laughs> you know, I don't know, piece of, I don't know, character advice. And so I guess, <laughs> yeah. so congratulations. It's, it's, a, it's a great movie. It's, it's a really great performance, which I, I mean, it might seem like we're blowing smoke, but truly like it is the type of performance that I think time will yield even more layers and appreciation to what you're doing it you know because i think there's a lot of nuance there so i guess the first thing i would just ask is like when you're going into some character like that um are there other gangster movies maybe lesser or not even gangster movies or even characters any in any medium where you're thinking like okay let me try to harness this type of vibe or are you kind of trying to avoid that maybe um well i i was definitely aware of all of the kind of well of the fact that that those characters have become so commonplace now and uh i i felt more than the burden of having to um uh, I, I don't know satisfy something to do with the legacy of the sopranos it, it was I, I felt just the the need to come up with a character that was 
um, original and that just was real. And, um, and it's so hard to tell nowadays what's real and what's an imitation because everybody in the real world of, uh, I don't know, you know, the Italian American communities of the outer boroughs, uh, those movies have become so ingrained in the culture that it's hard to tell who's imitating who. And, uh, and so even, when I was kind of hanging around and meeting people and spending time in those neighborhoods and everything, you know, sometimes you feel like people are almost kind of playing up to the, the cliche of of that type. And, um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, um, I guess I, I was just, trying to get as as detailed and specific i could about his particular experience and and his particular behavior and his particular voice and his particular physicality and you know all the things that um made his experience and and background and and personality uh unique and um but uh that said, um, I definitely watched a ton of stuff. I mean, I I did everything. I, I read a lot of, of books. I read, uh, uh, I, you know, and I I, I watched a lot. I um, I mean, a lot of it was was voice stuff too, which I was experimenting with. And I recorded on my phone a lot of conversations that I'd had with people in different neighborhoods and trying to just find a voice that uh felt true to that time and place but that was also really um i don't know that i hadn't exactly heard before or um that didn't sound like i was sending up um uh sending the guy up i i i mean of all the movies that i that i of all the gangster movies that i watched uh raging bull was the one that was that I, that I paid closest attention to, and it's not even really a gangster movie, but, right. um, the gangs, the, the, the gang stuff that's depicted in it. I mean, the, the mob stuff that's depicted in it is to me, like feels the most real, um, especially cause it's like this looming threat that isn't, uh, but, but it isn't that, that violent, like the mob isn't depicted as that violent. It, the violence is all comes from Jake Lomata, who has, right. who has nothing to do with the mob really, or in fact, wants nothing to do with the mob and is, is, uh, just can't control his own anger and, and rage. And, uh, but the way that the mob is depicted is they exert this like subtle and, kind of terrifying uh pressure on him and and the way that they do that is just it's so kind of easy and and there's this kind of menace to it but that doesn't ever feel like it's pushed or forced and nobody's kind of like hitting each other in the face and all that kind of thing and so uh i really was watching that a lot um and uh, and then uh, i think 
in a way, like I, I was thinking about the character not really even in the context of the mob because he is somebody who's, uh, I imagined, uh, just happened to be born into this uh, world and and had he been born somewhere else to a different father who didn't beat him up and all that kind of thing, the, you know, he doesn't, ne- he wouldn't necessarily have uh, uh, a kind, I mean, like, I, I don't think of him as a kind of evil guy or something. I, he just seems like some, to me, he seemed like somebody who couldn't control himself and, and was uh, really kind of upset by that. <laughs> and um, L- Jake Lamada has that same problem where he keeps, uh, you know, doing, you know, he keeps damaging the things that he loves and until he's got nothing left. And, and that's kind of the same trajectory as this character. And so it didn't really matter whether he was in the mob or not. I mean, in fact, a lot of the violence that he, um, a lot of the violent acts that he, that he commits in the movie are not uh, mob related there. It's just to do with his personal life. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, and I also felt like it was it was important that um that that what the enraging bull the reason that you still are invested in him in some way or that you understand him or feel for him is because he by the end is just so full of self-loathing and so uh so disgusted with himself and really wants to die that um that you kind of feel i don't know you just i guess that's just a human feeling you understand it and and because he wants to die uh and hates himself as much as you do as an audience member for what he's done for beating up his wife and for whatever sleeping with what is he he sleeps with an underage girl and that's why he ends up in prison i mean he does terrible things in that movie and yet by the end like it still kind of breaks your heart when you see him in that prison there like hitting the wall and saying uh you know you're so stupid you're so stupid right and um and so i i wanted to get that across in my performance that just the feeling that by the end that that Dickie is is so horrified by himself and so um you know horrified by his own actions and and so you just brought so low by the fact that he's killed every everybody he loves and and then that he can't even be anywhere near Tony because he feels like everything he touches he he destroys and so um, that feeling of just like horror and self-loathing and kind of suicidal thoughts really is kind of what uh, I wanted to to get to. And and I, you know, I think I don't know how much that was written in the in the script. David wrote us. He wrote a scene uh, that was added a year later, um, which was a, a scene towards the end after Tony comes to the warehouse uh, to visit me and I, I won't let him in. And then I sit there and I kind of cry in my, at my desk there. And then I go outside with Silvio and we have this kind of existential conversation where he says, you know, what do you, you know, I, 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 and I, I there's some line about how like, 
I say like, you know, there's, it's nothing, you know, he says, what are you talking? What did you say? And I say nothing or something. And actually, yeah, that nothing, you know, like there's nothing left. There's no point to anything. It's totally, he's completely like, um, completely lost at that point. And that scene wasn't in there initially. And I think David maybe kind of got inspired to write it after we had, um, after I had given the performance and he cut it together and um, saw that that's what I was after. I, in fact, there was a scene in that scene in the warehouse, just before I come outside, I, uh, I had uh, done a bunch of takes where I tried to strangle myself with my, with my necktie. Oh, wow. And, um, and then kind of dissolved into kind of crying and laughing about the fact that I can't even do that. Like I can't even, I can't even kill myself. And, and um, he took that, that was originally in an earlier cut. And then, and then when he added that scene after, he took the, the necktie thing out uh, because I guess he felt like it was overkill to have that. And then this kind of existential conversation after about, you know, the same kind of thing. But I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it would have been cool to have it in there. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's so much, I mean, you know, look, obviously... There's so much dichotomy of tones throughout the movie, right, that, you know, is all over the show, obviously, as well. I think what makes the movie a totally different beast is that it's obviously, a, you know, a two-hour narrative in that alone. There's so much going on. And, like, just there's so many things, right? Like, the fact that Dickie, the almost any sort the only moral guidance comes from the guy in prison and then you know and then like there's moments of pure joy that immediately devolve into horrible you know we don't we won't fully spoil anything but like yeah there are scenes in which because i rewatched it last night and i you know um it's it's jarring i think on purpose and i think yeah. it's very effective where there are more than one there's more than one scene where you are very happy for the character and the and the person that he's with. And then within five minutes, it goes horribly wrong. And you go like, yeah. that is so, I, I, the, the movie's been well-reviewed and, and it's, it's been well-watched and I think it will, it will continue to be so. But I think like I was not unlike your performance, there's so much going on. I think it will age well because I think, when you can step back from these, you know, I was thinking about other movies I was thinking about watching last night. Once upon a time in America is one, mm -hmm. for example, that, you know, that's the Jewish mafia, whatever, but it's, but these it's, it's, there's a, there's a subversive kind of inwardness to a lot of those characters that I feel like David Chase has always been trying to do. And you're really hitting at where it's like, yeah, the, the Godfather stuff, right. Whatever. Goodfellas, like these are great, pictures but they've become like lexicon you know and i think it's and that's hard part to... of the thing that even right the show makes constant constant jokes about right they have the running joke of like hey remember in one or two or whatever like it just informs <laughs> everything that they're consistently doing right yeah um and i think what one of the th to piggyback off of that dan i mean i think one of the things that struck me uh, most about this movie is how informed by time and history it also is, you know, like I think the, oh, back, sure, yeah. the backdrop that he chooses of the race riots and things like that, like it gives you a sense of context of 
really, I, I think also in the face of that self-referential nature of the show, and to your point, Alessandro, about maybe some of these types of people aping the pop culture that apes them and, and it becoming this <laughs> snake eating its own tail kind of thing, like almost giving using the backdrop of these riots and this scenario to almost give the genre like a clean slate almost like there's just to almost illustrate like there's nothing before this right because it's it's contemporaneous with the godfather roughly right at, at, at least in terms of like pop culture existing in the world right oh, sure like in the the book like itself the, yeah. yeah and in the world of the movie right like the godfather doesn't exist yet right yeah, as, yeah, yeah, as a yeah. thing to even reference and so it's this fascinating uh, sort of meta textual thing going on of like, yeah, like this is just, there's like a purity in it almost, I think. Um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's, a, it's very ambitious. And like, you can speak on this, Alessandro, like the, the section of the film that's you and Leslie Odom Jr. could have been its own movie that I would have loved to watch. Right. So it's like, you have this, movie that's new that's very newark grounded and then yeah. obviously the sopranos element and i think i guess i guess what was that like for you i mean what was it like i guess working with leslie Odom jr in that whole scene and we don't need to give anything away but like there's so much there when you think about even just the larger context of like italian americans and african americans and all those things that are really they're all referenced and and quite um yeah anyway yeah i mean the story is very it's like a sort of spider's web that kind of uh, in the last hour or 45 minutes of the movie pictures start to kind of take shape in this in this kind of web it's very it's not it's not uh traditionally structured at all and and I think some people find that uh, unsettling, and other people embrace it, and uh, you know, as a kind of poetry. And I, um, I you know, for me, uh, I, I, it's impossible for me to have any perspective on it at all because I just feel like I, my part of the story is so filled in with my own imagination that uh, you know, it's impossible for me to really experience how much of what I know about this character and, and his life and his world um, is, is conveyed or not. And I, you know, I think that <clears throat> some people, you know, wish either that the movie had, I don't know, given more of Dickie's story than it does. And, and other people wish it gave more of Tony's story than it does. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just have no way of, of, um, you know, experiencing the film in, in you know, without everything that I know, you know, that, that that's without the sort of whole, the whole, the, the entirety of it kind of oh, sure. yeah. in my, in my imagination. Um, but certainly um, that side of that part of the story, I mean, when I first watched the movie, I was actually amazed at how much the film was really balanced between uh, Dickie and, and Harold's two stories. I mean, he, right. much more than Tony, is the, the counterweight to my character in the movie. And uh, that was surprising. And it was... Uh, I thought uh, Leslie handled it so well. Like I, I somehow like didn't even realize what a kind of 
you know, how important it was that, that his performance have the weight that it had. And he, he really has a kind of like, um, you know, quiet power as a performer and, and particularly in this role. And it really kind of serves the movie well, because if he, if he hadn't had that, um, that, uh, I don't know, charisma as an actor, it would have really felt like, uh, you know, there would have, would have really been an imbalance in, in that part of the story. But, um, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the comments that I've had from people who are from Newark and actually lived through that time who've written me on social media or whatever, um, have, really focused in on the, on the riots and said, God, you know, people don't realize how, you know, what a major thing this was in, in our history, you know, in, in the history of that neighborhood. And, and that, uh, it was like the defining thing in our lives from, you know, all through that whole era. And it, you know, was, the reason that the whole, you know, Italian community ended up moving uh, north into the suburbs. And uh, it really was kind of uh, just loomed so large in, in their memory uh, of their youth in that part of, in that part of the world. And uh, I hadn't even kind of, I guess I hadn't even really thought of, of it in those terms when we were filming it, but it was interesting to hear people say like, yeah, I mean, this was just, this was the defining thing of, of my childhood. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so much to chew on, obviously. So it's like, I mean, we could, you know, we could, we could talk, I mean, but look, this, once again, this is another reason I think the movie is special because I, you, I mean, even this discussion, you could, you could talk about, you know, the, the Frank Lucas scene with, with uh, Harold and Frank, right. I mean, like there's so many great, I mean, my relationship, you know, you as know. a character to, to Harold, uh, I always thought was, was complicated and more complicated than some of the other uh characters relationship to the black characters in the movie because right. i i uh, i think my, or at least the, the the backstory that i had in my head was that these two guys had gone to high school they did and, and we mentioned that in the movie and then and that we probably kind of got along pretty well and we were we were on the football team together and uh you know that kind of thing tends to blur the 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 racial lines um when you know sports in particular um and then uh you know him coming to work for me at that time was probably just like a natural thing it, it, it uh, you know it's not a it, it wasn't even a question of status it was just sort of like you know the italians control the numbers there and yeah. and uh so he just was, I was just giving him a, giving him a leg up or whatever. And, and in our first encounters together, you just get that sense of our kind of having a pretty easy rapport. And then it's when I'm around my father in a, a later scene, when he comes in to deliver money to me, that I treat him really dismissively and condescendingly. And it's in the presence of my dad and that kind of feeling of wanting to impress him and, not wanting to seem weak and not wanting to seem 
that, uh, you know, I, that I'm kind of not in control of a black person who's working for me and, right. uh, you know, all of that kind of racial crap, um, comes out in the presence of, of my dad really. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's just one, uh, you know, that informs my relationship with Harold, but it also informs my relationship with my dad who, you know, where, which is very complicated because on the one hand, uh, I, I am desperate to, for his approval and want to impress him, want him to feel that I'm the man, want him to feel that I, I am control of my own patch and that like, uh, I'm on, I'm a guy on, on the move. And, uh, and then on the other hand, you know, just total, you know, just deep seated rage towards him and, you know, just wanting him de- wanting to kill him. Yeah. I mean, I think that all tracks in the film and it works, it works really well to kind of build that relationship that, like you said, that's really the most, that's the most central, you know, relationship in the movie, actually. In I terms mean, of just kind of- I, like I would have, I would have loved more of that. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that relationship is so interesting. And then especially in the context of having the uncle that I'm visiting in prison be some kind of penance that I'm serving for having killed my dad and then him being almost like the ghost of my father. I mean, that, you know, the father son theme is just such a huge part of the story. And I, yeah, I mean, I think there probably was a lot more to explore there. Um, you know, my relationship with, with Ray as my father gets kind of short shrift as opposed to, um, my interactions with him as my uncle. And, uh, it could have been, yeah, that's something that, uh, I think there was, there is, uh, room for more. I certainly in my own, again, like I had, uh, I had a, a very specific, images of of what my childhood had been like with him and and that kind of you know what it's like to be the child of abuse and long for the approval of the guy who's like hitting you and you know all that kind of stuff and and then uh you know seeing him beat my mom up and you know all that is obviously you know david considers that stuff like that's your fate that's your uh, your, your childhood experiences, your fate in, in a kind of Greek sense right, of the word. Like getting, getting trapped in your own trauma kind of. Yeah. That like to dig your way out of that is almost impossible. And in the same way that those like, you know, Greek, uh, characters in, in plays, um, are aware that there's some kind of, that they've, they've been told that what they're, they're, they're going to, what their fate is going to be and yeah. they do everything they can to avoid it. And, and they end up, uh, well, the great know, irony of playing mythology. Yeah. 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 And it, I mean, it's pervasive. Yeah, ahead, I was just going to say that's like pervasive throughout the movie. Just all those little touches, just even the dyma- dynamics and the ra- relationships with other characters. Like, I mean, just mm. even the fact that you, you know, you wind up with your father's wife, oh, right, like, yeah. you know, there's just this whole sort of, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's an Oedipal yeah, kind of, yeah, exactly. And then even, it was even, a, there was a scene he cut out where we even make direct reference to that, where Tony says <laughs> something like, man, I could kill my dad or something. Yeah. And I slap him and I say, 
uh, you know, don't ever say that God could hear you. <laughs> and then he's like, what do you mean? I mean, no, nobody really kills their own fathers. That they only just like, <laughs> that, that only happens in those Greek plays. <laughs> that's funny. That's and, funny. Uh, and that scene got cut out. I wish it hadn't, but it, it, uh, it, it's a nice, it's telling. Cause it's, cause even, you know, the things that they do, for instance, where, um, you know, even Vera Farmiga, like, you know, they make up a little bit, not even to look like Livia as you see her in the series, but kind of to look like Carmela. Oh, which yeah. is like, uh, yeah, you know, that's something that I hadn't even noticed because I just know Vera so well and everything. But like, so many people have said that to me that she looks so much like Edie Falco in the movie. Yeah, and oh, it's, it's like, crazy. You know, like, it's, assumptive it, it's so great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how intended that was or if that was just a sort of lucky coincidence, but. Uh, yeah. I do now that people have mentioned that I go like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> there, is a, there is a weird resemblance. But, you know, I know Connor wanted to mention, you know, we, last time you were with us, we talked about many different films of yours. And, and I feel like we recommended all of them. I mean, because we talked about um, <laughs> di disobedience, obviously, being a recent one. that's mm -hmm. very good. Um, but what we didn't talk about that I think connects well to the many saints of Newark is a most violent year, um, which is the JC Chandor, um, you know, like minor epic, right. It's kind of a, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, it's Oscar Isaac, Jessica Chastain, yourself, a million other people, David, a yellow, a lot of people. And it's, I just rewatched it last night as well. And, and it's, um, it's got the same mythos of like a bell. The lead character is, trying to pay off the original sin of his purchasing a corrupt company and your character is, you know, a scion of a, a more old yeah. money oil family and you're more comfortable with the darkness, you know, in the sense of just kind of the, the, the corruption. Well, my that, character, you know. I, I think what JC's uh, idea with my character was, is that it's not old money that my dad oh, was okay. like a, a real, like, Italian gangster. Right. Like, oh, right. It, okay. Right. The dad was a, a mob guy. And as a lot of these mob guys do, was trying to, you know, legitimize his family by sending his kids to like fancy prep schools and stuff. And yeah, JC Michael Corleone had, style. Yeah. Had gone to like um I can't remember. He went to like St. Paul's or Groton or one of these places. And he said that like he was, he had based the character on some friend of his or somebody he knew in prep <laughs> school who is like mm. clearly the son of like a mob guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the kid, you know, seemed to, uh, you know, almost kind of fit into this like waspy rarefied, yeah. uh, environment and everything, but like certain things would just like, slip you know and that was the idea with this guy was that he seemed to sort of you know uh you know have a kind of you know country club type mm, right. lifestyle and everything but then like when it comes down to his business dealings like he's obviously just like like father like son he's just mm -hmm. still got these kind of you know tendency to threaten violence and and uh you know have that kind of like slightly sort of well 
Well, Connor, we were, we were talking about the tennis thing. Is it's such a great. It's touch. an amazing. Yeah, it, I was going to say it's an amazing. Where he's touch, like, and I mentioned this he to like Dan. wants to love tennis. Yeah, right? it's, it's, it, it feels. Well, that was my. I mean, yeah. yeah, that thing, that thing of like always practicing my swing yeah, yeah, was yeah. something that I had embellished on. I mean, it was a. It, you know, the scene always took place on a tennis court, but then I decided I was just going to like make that a total obsession of his <laughs> yeah like almost like an insecurity or something like it's yeah like, right like these people yeah. play tennis so i gotta be I gotta really good yeah. Yeah. yeah no we're totally that yeah. he had to like he definitely had to have a tennis court at his house because it's such a sort of establishment like waspy yeah. sport and everything you know <laughs> even just the little things of like the minute oscar isaac walks in you you like take the time to even brag about like the machine you're playing against. Oh you know? yes, you're like, yes, yes. You're like, hey, you know, I paid a guy like five dollars a day or whatever it was like to, to play with me last time. No, this is way like uh, you're even like actively upping your tennis game. I thought, and again, you, you know, you only have a handful of scenes in the movie, but they're all extremely effective. And I can imagine, um, and I think that maybe you've talked about this elsewhere, so forgive me. I can imagine there's like a bit of that that David Chase sees and a bit of like American hustle that David Chase sees and somewhere in an amalgamation of these wonderful little characters that you've played for your whole career is, is Dickie Moltisanti. And I think that's one thing that's so wonderful about the Dickie character is that, you know, obviously Dan and I are big fans. So it's just nice to see this character kind of come out as almost this little culmination of a ton of things you've done really well over. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I hadn't, um, I, I really hadn't played like hardly any, you know, Italian American, characters and and uh so but it, it, it is definitely true i mean i think he has cited in interviews those two movies as uh the two that he had seen like i you know i don't think he ever saw disobedience <laughs> uh maybe he did i don't know wait alessandra i gotta i gotta tell you on one of your late night shows you mentioned five dollars a day Oh yeah, which I like. I might have said this last time. I really like that movie, but you mentioned it on the thing. It didn't really come out, right? It kind of didn't it yeah. come out properly, and it was a movie it didn't come know. out at all. I mean, it was yeah. just on VOD or whatever. I think I Netflixed it like the DVD whenever I watched, like back in the day. And like, it's a good movie. Like, you're it's you and Walken, and and it's a, it's a good like yeah. uh, a movie and people should seek it out. Um, but I love that you referenced that. I was like, to your point though, I don't, David probably didn't see $5 a day. He probably saw American <laughs> Hustle. Or, yeah. or, um, well, no, I mean, I, we talked about this the last time, but I mean, that uh, is an example of, um, you know, uh, the, the impact that, uh, some of these smaller roles with, with big time directors, uh, had on my career. And I, and I had kind of, uh, or, or, you know, a little bit before, I guess, you know, around the time of American hustle or whatever had really started kind of just targeting directors that I wanted to work with and, and just kind of, not really worrying so much about what the role was just saying like, what do you got? And, and, and then, you know, um, trying to make more out of, out of, uh, these smaller parts that were, that were in, in movies, um, with great, you know, that had great directors behind them. And, and 
sure enough, like, I mean, this was, I didn't even know that the, until he started doing press and, and promoting many saints of Newark, that, that those were the two movies that, that David had seen and that had got him interested in me to begin with, but, it, but as it turns out, they were. And so, yeah, it's just a perfect example of why I'm glad that I kind of went that route, um, Right. at that time where I really just started prioritizing the director and uh, I want to keep doing that forever. I, well, and you, I was going to mention, I mean, you have, I mean, in the near future, you, I mean, you, you're, you have, uh, you know, the, the new David O. Russell on the horizon and the Noah Baumbach, right. White noise, which is, I, I'm very incredibly excited for, cause that's a book that I, that I have. Yeah. And you're yeah, I, I just have a little, I have a little cameo in that, but hey. it's my kids. It's my yeah. kids who are the stars. of it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I saw, did you tweet about it? I think, or something. Uh, I probably, when they announced it or something, but they, um, that's all I forgot. About no, that. they're, awesome. they're like the lead roles. They, 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 my son and daughter play, uh, you know, it's about a family, which right. is Adam driver, uh, Greta Gerwig, Greta right. Gerwig, my son Sam Nivola, my daughter May Nivola, and oh my uh, one other girl, Rafi Cassidy, um, who is uh, a great actress. Who, in fact, I was, uh, I, I'm, I'm supposed to do another movie with her, Brady Corbet's movie, uh, The Brutalist, which um, you know she's gonna gonna be in as well. So that's awesome. Uh, it's all uh, in the family, but they they. <laughs> Uh, so no, they Noah had gone to the same the same grade school as my kids in Brooklyn when he was younger, and uh, so when he was looking for, well, my son is hardly a kid anymore. I mean, he's just turned eighteen, so he's oh, wow. um, he graduated this this year. But he went back to the school and said, you know, asked them if they had any talented kids, and and that was how the whole thing started. Uh, we definitely weren't trying to, um, you know, turn our kids into child actors or anything. And it was only when Noah got excited about them that it became a problem for us because we were like, <laughs> well, you know, are we going to tell no, they can't be in this movie, which is obviously going to, you know, had potential to be such a, a unique and amazing experience because he's one of the great directors and everybody involved were, were such top class and yeah one of the uh, great books i mean you know, you know and the book yeah and yeah i book. mean yeah because for those who don't know listening you know don delillo great new york writer himself white noise probably his most well-known book that are underworld right and and just um i mean it's, it's like a book i read in college you know which i think a lot of yeah. people probably but it's like well, it, it has, it has these amazing. kinds of things that turn out to be very topical now. Like, yeah, there's, there's this sort of toxic cloud in the, in the, in the sky that descends on this town and they're having to kind of escape it and go into lockdown and there are people masked and all this kind of thing. And so it, it has obviously all these echoes of COVID, but, but in fact, that was a total coincidence because Noah had written the adaptation and, and been preparing to shoot it before the pandemic had happened. Sure, yeah. So that was just like a weird uh, coincidence. And, um, but yeah, no, the, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a kind of perfect next project for him. I feel because it has the, some of the tone of, of that he does so well, which is this kind of comic drama, right. 
where there's a sense of the absurd in it, but it's also emotional and and real at the same time. And yet this movie gives him the opportunity to play with genre a little bit more. Like there's sort of a little bit more kind of noirish elements and more there, there's some comic uh comedy elements and the way that he's shooting it to me looks more uh you know cinem- cinematically stylish than than anything that he's shot before sure. i mean um i'm sure that he would say all of his movies have a you know a particular uh cinematic uh objective but this movie in a more obvious way really looks like uh you know it's visually exciting and that there's like right. a, a particular visual style to it that is That's that exciting. doesn't look like his other movies so that's, that's exciting connor did you i i i don't want to were there any other kind of um uh, go ahead i don't i, I feel like i've been hogging no hogging no, no. i was i was just gonna ask you i do you, is has it been a funny relationship with your kids in the like in the making of this thing like do they come to you for advice or do you find yourself maybe question. giving unsolicited <laughs> advice and are, and are they like, dad, shut up. Like, let me just be an actor. Like, how does that work? Uh, I mean, I gave that up a long time ago. They, <laughs> they, they don't listen to me about anything at all. I can't help them with their homework. I can't teach them how to play sports. Um, I, I really had to kind of just accept that they were going to, learn and make their own mistakes with just about everything that they are interested in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember when my son was, I mean, he came to me and said, dad, can I audition for this? And and I was like, well, okay. You know, and I was thinking like, he'll never fucking get it. You right. know I mean? There's right. gotta be like hundreds of kids, uh, you know, <clears throat> trying to throw their hat in for this thing. So I thought like, sure, you know, yeah, you whatever, want, yeah. whatever yeah. you want to do. But then when I went to do to ask him if he, if he wanted help preparing it and everything, he just said, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm all right. And he, it was a big, long 10 page scene or something that was full of dense dialogue. And he just, he just went off and worked on it. And a couple of weeks later, he said, Hey, you know, would you tape that thing for me? And I said, Oh, okay. You know, and I set up the camera and everything. And I was like, do you want to, uh, read through it together? And, uh, and he said, no, <clears throat> let's just tape it. So I, I ran the tape and, um, off he went and, it was just totally brilliant. <laughs> like the first take you did was just like, oh my god, you know. And I said, I said, that that's it. Like that's it. You did yeah, it. That's like, you nailed it. And he was that's like, so funny. I shouldn't do it again, you know. And I was like, uh, just trust me. Send this in. I promise you. Like it. You've you nailed it. And, yeah, don't overthink it, right? And so we sent it in, and sure enough, like within within 24 hours that we heard back that like he was very excited about him and and wanted to you know have him like then read a hundred other scenes and then you know it became a whole process but but it, it really like had nothing to do with me i i didn't he wouldn't take any yeah <laughs> uh, any advice from me um i wanted last time i was i was there's a couple things i wanted to mention you know could you didn't 
it, you've made mention so many times in the circuit of like this being a in many sense of Newark being a breakthrough role for you, which of course it is in the sense of just it's so high profile and you're the lead and and it's it's getting great notices and all of these things. But it's important to mention on a on a podcast like this, you you've been in many things that are very worthwhile for a long time, as as you've obviously mentioned. And one thing I wanted to mention last time, but I forgot, was there's a Netflix movie called The Red Sea Diving Resort, which is um, a very interesting kind of a thriller movie that that it's like it's really it's you and Chris Evans and the, the stack cast as well. Uh, the late Michael K. Williams is in that movie actually. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was. And that's, that's, that's an exciting movie that's on Netflix and is available. You know, like I would just recommend. And then, and then, um, you, your wife, Emily Mortimer, the doll and M is a show that's that you can watch. That's, yeah. That's, that's a really like fun. Doll show, and M, which, uh, yeah. You know, is just such a great show and it was just so well reviewed, but the license expired at HBO and they didn't, they didn't renew it. Like this thing oh, so can got, you not- this got like rave reviews from everywhere. I mean, I have like a, yeah. pages and pages of just the praise that it got from the times and the, you know, all the, all the different uh, newspapers but they, you know, HBO hadn't made it. They it, it, they acquired it as a oh, license pickup from from Sky in the UK. So it was a very unusual kind of unorthodox way that we put it together. And they they picked up the license for five years or something, and then uh, you know they uh, Michael Lombardo, who had commissioned it, like you know who had bought the license, you know, left and. Um, oh, now wow. runs now runs the company that we that that my company has a deal with. He runs E One, and uh, so our, our our you know uh, first look deal is is at his with company E1. now. Oh wow! But um, he you know when when he left you know the new the new uh, regime you know, regime um, you know tend to like clear stuff out and they oh, didn't renew shit. it. So oh, now wow. so we're, you like, can't, we're trying to we're trying like, to like get a, a new set up a new license deal. Oh shit! All right. Well, hopefully you do because we'll, I was going to we'll say activate, we'll activate people on social media. We'll uh, yeah, it, uh, seriously. <laughs> yeah, we should. We'll start a because that is a good. Yeah. That is a good. That is one of those HBO shows that like. You know, it's funny. It's like you know you think, think about like like the comeback or you know like the Lisa Kudrow show like you know like a. Uh, a smaller show fine but like a yeah. very good but you're right lombard it's funny of course michael lombardo he's no longer there a, re- a show represent representative of his reign where he was really making great stuff and obviously great stuff yeah, still coming it was cool. out of you know we shot them like two there were two seasons we shot each season like an indie film really where we we, we shot out locations and everything and then cut it up into its episodic form after um and each season is like a complete story and it's like yeah, a yeah. sort of it's like a long film because the eps are only only 30 minutes and yeah and they uh they there were only six of them for each season, so that was what, a three. You know, it was like a three-hour film. There were two three-hour films, basically. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean that was the. I mean, I I produced it. I you know I did like a little cameo in the in the second season, but it was really uh, M and Dolly who wrote it, and and Azza Jacobs, you know, who who directed it, and. Um, I think it was, I, I honestly think it was kind of before it's time. It was like just before Fleabag and, 
uh, just its style. They they were they were inspired by the Michael Winterbottom movie The Trip, which he had originally made so as a television good. series um, yeah. with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon playing kind of versions of themselves uh, in this sort of comic drama, and that was the the original inspiration for it and. And, uh, yeah, I think it just, uh, it really like slipped under the radar completely, but, um, the critics that had seen it like raved about it and it just didn't like find, uh, you know, it didn't get like a marketing push or anything like that. So I don't think that many people knew about it except for like a super insidery crowd. Well, we're gonna we're gonna push it. We're, we're, the, the push starts now. Well, we're gonna, we're we got to get it back up on iTunes. We got to get it back <laughs> up. And, uh, and but and then just funny you mentioned Azazel Jacobs, who who's do who did the Lovers and Terry and um, yeah. more recently French Exit, which are all kind of very good, challenging movies. Which, yeah. Um, yeah. No, he's a he's a great director and uh, writer, yeah. and um, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see what he does next too. Absolutely. So, you know, I think, Connor, as we kind of come to almost an hour, I, I want to, uh, was there any Many Saints of Newark um, final questions? Ray Liotta, you've talked about, obviously, in different uh, arenas. It's obviously lovely watching him play off of you, him being Henry Hill, of course, uh, among a, uh, a million other things in his career. But like he's doing something wholly different and you guys it's an interesting exercise to watch because the two relationships because he's playing two characters are so different so it's like for the first 20 minutes you get this as you described it complicated father-son relationship yeah. and then this kind of almost he's almost you're right in a way i didn't think about it but the, the twin the uncle ray Liotta is almost like hamlet's father's ghost or something there's like something going on there of like kind of their haunting you know from from the grave yeah you know, i mean it's in all, some sort of way yeah it's full of ambiguity it could be a figment of my imagination it could be my conscience i'm talking to you know he's like a sort of you never see else with them, yeah. dr melfi in the series you know he's my confessor who i lie to he's uh yeah he could be the ghost of my father like hamlet's father or uh yeah you know, there's a, it works on kind of a million different levels. And I, I really, it's interesting, you know, they, it wasn't written that that was the same actor playing those two parts. And oh, interesting. that was a decision that uh, Alan Taylor and, and David Chase made um, uh, during the casting process. And I, I, I just thought it was such an inspired thing to do because it took the onus off of, uh, the cinematographer or the actors to do anything in those scenes to, to create that kind of surreal feeling about them. Um, because that was just done the minute that you see him walk out and it's the same guy, Yeah, you know, obviously he looks different and his behavior is different and, you know, performance wise is such a kind of cool thing that he did, but just the fact that it's him like immediately lifts those scenes out of just kind of kitchen sink reality and um and allows them to you know to take on a kind of supernatural quality to them even though we while we are still playing them completely real right um and so that was i i think that was just a great uh, you know um serendipitous you know whether it was uh, i don't know how, exactly how it popped into alan and david's heads that that 
that that could work. But I remember Alan calling me up and saying, Hey, I, I got this, you know, I had this thought, what if, what if Ray played both characters, you know? Oh. Uh, and, uh, and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. That's a great idea. You know, it's a very Sopranos thing. Really. Yeah. I was, was going to say it's fun because I, I also like my wife and I had just finished our rewatch of the show literally the week the movie came out. And so I was like really fresh with it, but it is one of the handful. It's the, one of the few moments throughout the movie that you get the signature Sopranos surrealism that pops yeah. up a ton in the show, obviously, especially even in yeah. the scene where you're you're talking about like the blind baseball, oh, for yeah, instance, which is a great I which is a great that. scene. And it, yeah, and that scene is shot. That's like one of the most Sopranos uh, scenes in it. You yeah, know? you don't know if it's real. Exactly. Or exactly. Like, you're like, is he full of right wishful like, thinking yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Exactly. And then also when I snap back to reality and Ray's gone that yeah. was that was something that they they came up with on the day that wasn't in the script he was just the, the scene just cuts out of the baseball game and goes to the next scene and instead he had me kind of come back in this kind of like weird you know reverie of longing and sort of imagining some other life and 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 then it's like back to this sort of cold reality he's gone and uh that was all um a sort of you know directorial improvised flourishing. Yeah, and that's I mean the other thing about the movie that I guess echoes in the show, but even on its own, it's what makes it maybe challenging for some, but also so rewarding is that people are weird, right? I think that's one of the nice things about <laughs> the movie and the show, but the movie even specifically is so often movies normalize things for the viewer. Which makes sense, right? You get why that happens, but when, but but in real life, like people have weird, you know, thoughts like that, like you know, and 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 the fact that everybody involved went, f you know, full in on that is is so impressive, and I feel like in the long run, um, uh, very kind of people will and do. Um, under, you know, uh, empathize or understand those kinds of moments because it's like, it's 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 nuanced. It's uh, it's really nice. Yeah. So anyway, but Alessandro, before we run out of time here, I have to ask, uh, just because we usually wrap up our episodes with something like this, uh, is there anything you haven't done that you want to do? Any kind of whether oh, it's a genre goodness. or a character or uh, something like that. Anybody you want to work with that you haven't worked with? Anything like that? Uh, it's so funny. Like uh, I, uh, you know, you you always get asked, like you know, what do you want to do next, or what do you want to do, or even like our production company, you know, people saying like, what kind of movies do you want to make, mm -hmm. or what kind of what kind of TV do you want to produce, or what kind of roles do you want to play? And uh, I was last night. Um, uh, my son, Sam and Emily and I were watching paths of glory, mm. oh, the Kubrick movie, which is just so like, actually just astonished us all. Like how good it was. I, I mean, of course it's Kubrick and everything, but I just, we'd, we'd forgotten how it's like, shit, that's like a shockingly good movie. Yeah. It's just so, it's so, it's so brilliant. It's so simple and and really moving it's it's brilliant and uh so sam noah baumbach had given sam this this book of of uh 
all like some it's some kind of like big coffee table book about Kubrick's the making of all of Kubrick's movies and mm-hmm. it has all these interviews with Kubrick and behind the scenes stills and stuff and there was this one uh little passage where he was you know and he was at this day he was 28 or something when he made Paths of Glory for <laughs> and so uh, crazy. you know they were talking there were anecdotes in it about him working with that uh great actor Alphonse oh, oh yeah forget his name. I'll name plays the, yeah he plays the commander of the whole army who's totally corrupt and everything and um Meiju or something made well, yeah, Adolf uh, Menju. Yeah, Adolf Menju. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and how he had been, uh, you know, not happy about doing so many takes because because uh, you know Kubrick does so many takes and and that Kubrick had just like you know quietly like listened to his complaints and then just sort of told him that's how we were going to do it and that was all there was to it and so Sam was convinced that Noah gave him this book for that one reason because Noah does like 50 takes oh, that's on every setup and he was trying to like prepare Sam for but um but there was this little exchange in it where some journalist said uh you know um you know what kind of what kind of movies do you want to make or what kind of films do you want to make? What kind of film do you want to make next or something like that? And, and, and Kubrick said, uh, really good movies. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that's, uh, that's pretty much how I feel, uh, fair, you know, fair answer. <laughs> to be totally honest. Um, I, I don't feel like, Oh, you know, there's one particular role that I'm dying to play or anything like that. I, it's just, uh, you know, uh, m- movies are the sum of so many different, different elements and, hmm. um, which is why it's so hard for them to be good. You know, even when, uh, when s- many different parts of them can, can be working right. Like there's so many things that have to, work together for it to, um, be great. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's what you just long for is to, a, you know, find the, the great filmmaker. Cause a lot of it comes down to that, but then also just the sort of, you know, weird magic in the air that, um, that, uh, then like lifts it off to, to being something. Well, yeah, you, yeah. You'd want every little movie to be June bug, you know, like in terms of like, you know, somehow yeah. this little movie gets found and, every, you know, yeah. you know, people, you know, and every bigger movie to be many saints where it's original, but it's accessible yeah. and, you know, and it's, but it's I'm like, going to work with Phil Morrison again. That's one thing. I oh, think I know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan Hawke and I, uh, are developing this movie with him about the Leuven brothers who were these, uh, country gospel singers from the fifties, uh, who were brothers and it's a kind of Cain and Abel story set in oh, that's like cool. 1950s in Alabama. And, Sign me um, up. That sounds great. Yeah, uh, it's uh, so we're 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 hoping to get that together for the spring. And yeah, Ethan Hawke who just worked with the King of Mulberry Street, uh, Abel Ferrara, or that movie. Oh yeah, out. yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I, I want to see that. He was telling me about yeah, that. zeros and ones or in the height of yeah. COVID. Um, yeah. They were like in Rome, where just empty streets in Rome, yeah. and Abel yeah. Ferrara just like made his way with the city. I don't know somehow, like 
he was like still back in like 1970 or whatever. Well, that's him, um, man. He just he just does it. He just yeah, does it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Alessandro, thanks for coming back and talking to us about the many saints of Newark and, and everything else. It's always an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, we we appreciate you so much taking the time and um, yeah. I mean, we hope you 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 enjoy you enjoy the spotlight and now you can you got you know, white noise, your kids and everything coming out and, and there's a lot on the rise. And so it's exciting time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was just, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's been kind of, you know, I'm back in Cleveland here now, mm. which has been kind of great. We've been here off and on all summer. I mean, I shot the David O. Russell, the, the second David O. Russell movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, this is this one, uh, that we just finished, uh, at the sort of just to just, right when they were starting shooting here. So I was away and then I came and then I went and did another little movie in, in, uh, Italy, uh, which is this comedy with, um, Alison Brie and Aubrey Plaza. Oh, the Jeff Baina movie, right? Fred, the... Yeah. Fred Armisen, Molly Shannon. Yeah. Jeff Baina's movie. And, um, and then I came back here and then I went to do the promo and then I came back here and it's been kind of this great thing coming back to, this this little part of Cleveland where we live, which is so kind of chilled out and quiet, and it's just us and the family. And so well, stop by of... stop by Pittsburgh on the way back. Oh, no, listen, we did it. we did it on the way here. We did road trip to Pittsburgh. I would have I would have bought you a pierogi next going, time. Next going time. back, I think we're I think we're jumping on a plane. But although you know this, we're waiting to find out about Monday whether this whole thing. You know, there's only two weeks left of the shoot, and if the IATSE strike happens, oh sure, um, yeah. we don't know what's going to, we don't know how it's going to play out. If we're going to go oh, back yeah. to New York and then, and then we got to come, uh, come back again. I don't oh, know. We're gosh. never going to leave Cleveland. Cleveland. It's been nice to kind of recover here, uh, from after that, like promo tour and everything. And, and, uh, just hoping that the kids can finish and we'll, we'll, um, We'll see what happens uh, Sunday night at midnight. Seriously, yeah, seriously. Fingers wow. crossed that they Indeed. come to an agreement. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I hope 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 everybody gets it. Get, yeah. yeah, gets what they need. Um, all right, sir. Well, thank you. It's, it's hey, always a pleasure. Good to talk to you guys again. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. I'm sure that we'll be talking again in in in, in a few when days from M, now. When Dal <laughs> when, when Dal and M is streaming, we'll we'll talk. We'll just we'll make it an annual thing. It'll be that's right. It'll just be it's like a holiday special. When my Noah turns two, we'll just be like, all right, Alessandro, he's two. Come back on. We'll talk about yeah. It's a deal. Well, it's a deal. Thank thank you again for being so generous uh, with your time. We really appreciate. My it. My pleasure. My pleasure. I love talking to you guys. All right. We'll uh, enjoy Cleveland. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. And that's it. As usual, it's always a pleasure to have him on our show. We hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, if you've liked what you heard here, feel free to go back and listen to our first conversation with Alessandro, where we talk about a few of his B-sides there in more depth. And uh, if you like in general what you hear over here at the B-side, please do rate, review and subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter at TFSBside as well as Facebook. And if you have any questions, comments, or concern, please shoot us an email at bside at thefilmstage.com. That's B-S-I-D-E at thefilmstage.com. As usual, thanks for listening. Hey, hey, hey.